New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. Today's topic will be prayer. I know as children, we often used prayer to ask for something from an invisible and mysterious divine power. And even as adults, we may still send our petitions to God or whomever we call on as the source of creative powers. However, is this the best use of prayer? Can prayer be more effective and serve us in a way that is something more than making wishes to the divine? Our guest today, spiritual teacher Guy Finley says, prayer can help us discover that which is already living in us and is everything that we ever wanted, hoped, or actually imagined was possible. And he offers advice into tapping into this powerful resource. Guy Finley is a spiritual teacher and author. He's the founder and director of Life of Learning Foundation, a nonprofit center for transcendent self-study located in Merlin, Oregon. He also hosts the foundation's Wisdom School, an online self-discovery program for seekers of higher self-knowledge. He offers free online classes open to all every Wednesdays and Sundays. Each class also includes a question and answer session with Guy. Guy Finley is the author of over 45 books, including The Secret of Letting Go and The Lost Secrets of Prayer, Practices for Self-Awakening. He also offers the online e-course, Five Prayers for Self-Transformation. Join us for the next hour as we explore the very active process of true prayer with our guest today, Guy Finley. I'm speaking with Guy at his home by remote connection. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Guy, welcome. <laughs> Hi, Justine. <laughs> yeah, it's good to be with you once more. Guy, there's one thing that you have said. You've said there is no such thing as a failed prayer. Where does that come from? Tell us about that. Our life, moment to moment, is a ceaseless interaction with a matrix of divine and earthly energies that always respond 
an appropriate measure to whatever we as human beings put forth into that life. This works for our greater benefit and the good, uh, the, the perfection of humanity, but it can also work against us when we don't understand that every thought that comes to us that we identify with is sent out in a manner of speaking is something that's going to bring something back to us. So if we dwell on the negative, if we're caught and our attention is caught on a heartache or a problem, we are without knowing it, praying not only that that condition become further manifested and real to us, but we're also in that moment ignoring the fact that that condition would not exist for us in our consciousness if it weren't for our being inattentive to what our consciousness is doing in that moment. So prayer is, again, for the, the betterment, the perfection of ourselves, but it also serves unknowingly as the source of a punishment if we're not aware of ourselves. You know, that reminds me of a quote that one of our guests on New Dimensions said. Uh, he said that um, the universe is neither good nor bad. It's responsive. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what you're saying. That is exactly what I'm saying. And that the good or evil thereof is always basically a human concept. It is something that we have conceived as a result of our conditioning and have been captured by through attachment and dependency to the images that we inadvertently worship, which is part of false prayer. But on <laughs> Those the other are the hand, idols, huh? Yeah, yeah, exactly. God said, thou shalt not have any graven images. And what this divinity was referring to is that what you hold in your mind, you're going to experience. And if you hold in your mind some image of becoming someone or something, that you're going to escape something, then you are trapped at that consciousness that has produced the image and ultimately the self captured there. So yeah, all of that's quite accurate. And part of the, the, the process of our awakening to begin to understand our life, we're in a prayer right now. We are in a prayer right now because we are, to whatever extent we're capable of knowing it, in relationship with something that is bringing forth a life that is in part our creative responsibility. That reminds me of another quote of yours, which kind of goes along with this, I believe. Uh, prayer is a way in which we connect ourselves to that part of ourselves already connected to what is true and everlasting. So yeah. can you expand on that? You see, most of our prayers and Emerson alluded to this when he spoke of how vain and futile is most of our prayer, because most of our prayer is to get a gift of some kind from what we imagine the Creator to be. So we pray for health, we pray for well-being, we pray for money. Now, most of us say, well, I don't pray for money, but what do I do all day long that I value above all else? other than try to be profitable according to my image of what profitability is. So what we're looking at here is that the idea of prayer as a pathway to receive that which, what? We think we're missing. We pray for that which will complete us instead of praying consciously to be in a relationship with the moment that is showing us we are always being completed. 
there's no moment in which the revelation of what unfolds around us isn't revealing within us some corresponding quality. So that prayer is not, if you will, all about something that, uh, it, prayer is not about a time to come. Prayer is about being in real timelessness and understanding that I'm experiencing my nature. That's what we experience. We experience what we are. We try to escape the experience of what we are by praying to be something else or to get something else so we can become identified with yet another thing that will be the false basis of a false prayer. Well, you know, guys, I, I think many of us would, uh, part of our prayer life would be for other people. Just like uh, before we began this conversation, I was telling you about good friends of ours that yes. Uh, their home is threatened by the fires, and, right. and they they're, may lose their home, and they won't know for quite a few days, maybe weeks, whether their home is still standing. And so I myself have sent out a prayer for their well-being, for them to be protected, and for all good things to come of this, no matter what the outcome. So a lot of us are praying for each other in these times. Uh, so. Where does that fit in? I think there is a place for that kind of prayer. As long as our praying nature isn't trying to control an outcome so that we're free of disturbance. Because a lot of the things we wish for other people is because we don't want to be pained by what we think they're going through. But what if all of that, Justine, every last thing that happens to us, can be for the true benefit of the soul by revealing in this instance my false belief that who I am depends upon my environment and my condition and the things that befall me. So look, we wish the best. Two years ago, Patricia and I were sitting up here with little water hoses while we were surrounded by 100-foot walls of flame that were coming up on all directions around our house. Now, God bless her, my wife, you know, she's <laughs> she loves her photo albums and things that I don't particularly see for being of value. So I help her get this stuff. But to understand, what is that fire really doing? It is cleansing the land. It is creating a new environment under which new creations will reveal a new creation better than the one that was there before. So it works as a cleansing agent. Well, Justine, what if all the things that come, including COVID, are a kind of celestial relationship with the earth, cleansing us of attachments, cleansing us of dependencies and things that we don't even know live in our consciousness that because we're unaware of them serve as seeds of prayer. But when I pray to be safe, is it not fear praying? Can you follow me? If I'm sitting here praying to be safe, what's praying? That which believes it can lose what is valuable and true and good. Certainly, I don't want to lose my physical world. I don't want to lose people I love. But what if every last one of those moments is an invitation from the divine saying to me, Guy, what are you willing to see is true about the extent of your attachments and dependency upon things that you're going to lose anyway at some point in time. We don't keep anything, Justine. Uh, 
We can't keep anything. Love keeps us. And if we can keep love first and foremost, then we will be in a right relationship with a kind of ceaseless prayer by which we are hoping in our actions and relationships to be in this ceaseless process of revelation that helps us realize who and what we are, which never needs to be afraid of anything. Well, I'm getting the insight here. I, I was thinking, well, what about our relations with other people, our, our attachment to relations to other people? And then as you were speaking, I was thinking, oh, even that ends at death. Yes. You know, so, <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, and does that kind of fit into what you're saying? Absolutely. I'm not saying don't love people. I'm not saying don't pray for them. I just got off the phone with a good friend and a student who has had a very serious health alert. So we talked it through. I am with him. I will think for him. I will do all I can for him. But I have no fear for him. And he must not have fear for himself. Because if he has fear for himself, which seems natural, then fear becomes the source of his prayer. Instead of understanding that fear can only pray to continue itself, no matter what it calls itself. Gradually, we can see these things as being true. I want to remind our listeners that I'm here with spiritual teacher Guy Finley, and he is the um, he is the creator and conductor of the e course Five Prayers for Self Transformation. And if you want to know more about his work, you can go to his website, guyfinley.org. O-R-G, GuyFinley.org, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, NewDimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening. I'm here with spiritual teacher Guy Finley, and he is the founder of the Life of Learning Foundation and the Wisdom School that is also part of that foundation. And he he's available for e-courses, free courses, so check them out. Uh, and today we're talking about prayer. And um, so I, I wanted to ask you, Guy, what, and we're, we're kind of alluding to this already, what does consciousness have to do with prayer? Is is what is what is the connection between consciousness and prayer? We are, as I said in the first segment, always, without knowing it, in a state of prayer. The the meaning of prayer
prayer and our connection to it is that as human beings, there isn't one of us, especially those of us who join Justine for these <laughs> programs that she presents, we all know in our heart, if not fully realized, that we belong to something greater than ourselves. Just like I love the company of my birds and the deer and all the wild creatures that I have this intimate relationship with here up on this little mountain, I long for relationship with that which introduces me to aspects of myself that I'm not conscious of until I'm actually with these creatures. So that each creature reveals to me aspects of my consciousness I'm asleep to until I'm in that relationship. Now, we can extrapolate from that natural understanding that we also belong to and long to belong to something that is always with us, something that is never without this kind of revelation of the whole of ourselves. So if I can develop this, I'm with, let's say, Bucky Boy. I've got a little four-point buck here. I've raised him from the beginning. You know, I can hand feed this beautiful buck, lanky, stupid as the day is long. I got to say, I hate to say it about Bucky. He's just kind of naive, I guess. But when I'm with that, that, that young buck, I feel him. But am I feeling Bucky? Or am I feeling Bucky and Guy because Bucky is Guy? At that level of consciousness, we are a singular creature. So I have these singular experiences with distinct sources of creation that reveal very intimate, separate parts of my consciousness to myself. It's not enough. And we know it's not enough. If it was enough to go to the ocean and have the moment of a vast experience of this surging power, then we'd walk away from the ocean and we'd always be there, but we're not. But it stirs in us a remembrance of a greater being. So each intuition is an intimation of a possibility yet realized. So are you saying that if we pause in those moments of feeling that at one minute and let go of that normal consciousness that we mostly go through our day as being separate beings and not connected to this vast universe. When we feel those moments, do you feel that they kind of reverberate with us and never quite go away like like a, a lens opening and never quite closing all the way again once we experience that kind of ecstasy with another? I, I like that. I like that. I like that that imagery because we're alluding to the same thing. And, and in this instance, I'm with the creature. I'm with this unbelievably beautiful sunlit day and the madrone leaves starting to change color. And for a moment, I don't have to try to let go of Guy. There is a relationship that exists immediately between the soul and that which is revealing the quality of the soul through the moment. That's instantaneous. So that in a manner of speaking, that aperture opens and suddenly I have an inlet into a more unified order of myself. But as soon as I 
leave that or my attention is grabbed by something, aperture closes, but I never lose the remembrance of something that was always and already in me. So the spiritual search begins and the prayer life starts with a wish that that aperture didn't have to open and close and I disappear and appear, but rather can I remain in a constant state of being open to the essential unity of the world that I see and the consciousness that reflects it. Then there is a singularity. We leave this world of duality that's produced by a ceaseless measurement of the world by a consciousness that thinks itself apart from it. No, that, then that opens up. And that's what this little ebook is about, all of my work. Can I work inwardly to begin understanding not how to open that aperture, but what is it in my present consciousness that keeps closing it? Because in truth, we're already there, Justine. Made in the image of God doesn't mean that one minute I am and one moment I've not. It means that the whole of the divine ray of light, the whole creation, is already an aspect of my being. But something in my consciousness is closing it off. So it becomes a process of negation, not affirmation, but a realization something is working against these beautiful whole moments I need to understand that with greater and greater clarity so that in that awareness, I can be present to the moment where it wants to pull me back into this little world of guy and suffer a, a, a accordingly. So that's the work we're talking about. You know, I, I'm reminded, Guy, of um, uh, toddlers, little children who are who live in this. They're just starting to... to to walk around and toddle around. And what I noticed as a mother of a young, young son, um, at some point when he was toddling around, he would just trample all over my feet. You know, I, I noticed that one time that, that he was just walking around and he was stepping all over me. And I got this feeling that he was in that that universal consciousness. It wasn't he. It wasn't his feet and my feet. They were all just one foot, or they were all just one world, and he was yeah. just living in this one world. So when when you talk about prayer, um, you talk about it as even in its most seemingly passive forms, it's a very active thing. You call you call it prayer in action. Yes. So uh, why do you call it that? What What is that meaning? It means that in any given moment, I am aware of the fact that life is being revealed to me, through me, and that I am not separate from what is being revealed and that which is realized as a result of it. It is a singular movement. This process by which your boy gradually grew into a state of distinction. I now distinctly know you from me. I now know that's good, that's bad. So that that consciousness is a, a, a development of a certain conditioning that is inherent in that consciousness itself. It begins to try to grasp the world around it 
through its ideas of the world around it. And this world around us is not an idea any more than I am an idea. We are all part of a much broader life. So that active prayer simply means that I am present as I can possibly be to everything the moment reveals in me about myself. For instance, one of the first of these five prayers in this e-course, it's called Go Silent Before Your Enemies. Go silent before your enemies. Now, why is that an active prayer? Because the first thing that happens when anybody challenges me, including the fire that's coming, the moment I don't want, the waiter who doesn't recognize that I should be waited on before all other people in the restaurant, we all know the drill, that in that moment, I am presented with a reaction that is essentially born of resistance to something that is not in accord with who I think I am and how things should be. Now, that identity, Justine, wasn't created in that moment. It came into the moment with me as part of that level of consciousness. We live with demands we don't know we have. And when that moment comes along and it says, your demand is not going to be met, I start to hear this dialogue in my head telling me why I should be the right one to get the service, why you shouldn't do what you do. So I think, without knowing it, that all of that dialogue is actually helping me deal with the unwanted moment. The dialogue is not helping me deal with the unwanted moment. It is creating the unwanted moment by validating an identity apart from everything it sees and that feels uh, 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 punished by the event. So to go silent before my enemies means that here I'm at a business meeting, somebody says something unkind. This is big today in our world. You know, little passive association of triggering and all the rest of that nonsense that the world literally worships because of how definitive an identity. Well, let's say that I'm there and this person says something I don't like. I think my reaction to that person's comment is actually who I am. That I am someone who cannot be spoken to of that way. You do not understand what I understand. So that consciousness makes an enemy of that person. What if in that moment, prayer in action would be to recognize that person just introduced me to something in myself I didn't know was there. And it's been there since I was a kid. Now, ah, I can use the revelation of the moment for the realization of a character I didn't know I was walking around with. And in that realization and integration that brings an end to that sense of false distinction and power and demand that keeps it in place. Lo and behold, I leave that moment because of that prayer, a different order of human being. My consciousness has changed because I didn't resist the revelation. I used it to realize the part of me that was keeping me from that proper understanding. So what what you're saying is you say go silent before your enemies. Uh, so you take a moment of silence and that's a very active process is what, what I think you've just described that, okay, 
take a deep breath. I'm feeling this towards the waiter. Oh, isn't this interesting? And if we're not silent and take that moment and hunker down with it, then we're not going to learn anything. That's exactly right. We'll talk about that in just one moment. I want to remind our listeners, I'm here with Guy Finley, and he's a spiritual teacher. He's offering an e-course called Five Prayers for Self-Transformation. And you can find that on his website, guyfinley.org, O-R-G, guyfinley.org. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with spiritual teacher Guy Finley, and if you want to know more about the Five Prayers for Self-Transformation e-course, go to guyfinley.org forward slash the numeral five prayers, five prayers, guyfinley.org forward slash five prayers, and he spells his last name F-I-N-L-E-Y, Finley. So, Guy, I, w- I want to go into the second prayer, and, and you call it Stop Rushing to Get Nowhere Fast. And, um, <laughs> and these are, you talk about this as when anxiety attacks, and, and this is another way of getting at what you've already spoken to, because yeah. I want to say this concept of, of, hey, everything is really good and perfect and whole and and we're we're all there is one consciousness so to speak it's hard to grasp this yes it is so uh we're coming at it from a different way and and one of the uh quotes you say is we are already in the world to come oh wow what does that mean all right I mean, I like it. I like that phrase. It stops me in my tracks. But yeah. hey, uh, so prayer to stop rushing around to get nowhere fast. And we're already in the world to come. Look, it's such a, a noble, beautiful idea. All that's true is noble and beautiful. But just because part of me knows the nobility and the beauty of it doesn't mean that I'm living in that world of beauty and nobility. We are here on this earth as a kind of bridge between heaven and earth. It's, it's right in the Lord's Prayer. Thy will be done on earth, as in the earth, in Guy, in Justine, as it is in heaven. How are these things married? So we would never even suspect that they are already married, that what is eternal is already connected to what is in time. Christ said it, I'm the vine, you're the branches. I am eternal, love, purpose, perfected. You are that which can know that through being in relationship with this divine intelligence. So what does it mean we are already there in a time to come? Justine, you be advocate. How many times in your life, and I know they're innumerable, have you struggled with something wanted to understand something, but by 
but but just it wasn't coming. It didn't look like it was coming. And of course, first comes the resistance, and then maybe some regret, then a little sense of inadequacy, and finally, because love already knows that what it looks for exists. We let it go, but we don't let go of the wish to understand. And then, like out of the clear blue sky, the light bulb, the epiphany, the realization that had eluded us. But where is that realization? What is that epiphany in that moment other than the recognition that somewhere in me, in this consciousness, was the answer and it was always there, but I was somehow disconnected from it. So that in that moment, I come into the awareness of an order of myself that was already there, but it was in another time. It was in another kingdom I just wasn't connected to. So letting go, dying to myself, surrendering, breaks that unseemly division between these kingdoms. And then, of course, I already knew that. By the grace of God, my life, talking about Guy now, which I don't usually do, is almost, a, I'm a message catcher. I have this unbelievable, beautiful, blessed life where the more I am willing to live with the question and not answer it from the intellect or from past experience, the more I am gifted with a revelation of a realization that is already part of my consciousness, but that I don't know it is yet. So that this prayer of stop rushing to go nowhere is an action, an action-packed way in which I start to realize the reason I'm always trying to get somewhere, do something, become something, is because somehow or other something is telling me I'm incomplete. And I have to do this. I, I, I'm literally under... Uh, the, uh, the thumb of time, literally under the thumb of time. We are timeless, but we don't know it because we live from a consciousness that believes it must become complete. So that this exercise of stop rushing to go nowhere means I catch this anxiety, I catch this anger, this frustration, saying, man, if you don't get past this point, if you don't get this done, you are going to lose something of value. The very rushing is the loss. The anxiety is, the, is, is giving up the opportunity to see that if I will be quiet, come back to myself, and wait and watch, I will realize that what I am looking for is not going to be found outside of me. What I'm looking for, Justine, is the revelation that that anxious self is not Guy. That angry self is not Guy and only passes itself off as being Guy when I identify with its guidance, which is a false god. Die to the false gods, die to the images, and lo and behold, the true God, the true divinity is sitting there all along just going, hey, man, wake up, will you? When are you going to understand that I am always there? This intelligence is always there. You just need to want to surrender yourself sufficiently enough so that you can begin to get these messages. I never stop sending like sunbeams 
on a field of flowers. What I get from what you're saying uh, that there, you talked about not being under the thumb of time. I like yeah. that phrase, not being under because we we do rush around. You're saying that this is very practical. This is a, this is not yeah. some sort of theoretical. <laughs> no, okay, no, no, no. Yeah, you're yeah. you're not spouting just say, hey, uh, this is cosmic consciousness and you know it's all everything's wonderful and everything you're not saying that you're saying oh, that there's something no. very practical about stop rushing to get nowhere fast if the truth isn't practical in terms of the perception it grants me in the moment that truth is useless this is where the rubber meets the road spiritually speaking because until I can understand that anxiety is something inside of me trying to prove to me that I'm incomplete, not only will I chase after what I believe will make me whole, but I will be identified with a consciousness that actually believes it isn't whole and seeks wholeness outside of itself. You're already complete. The task is to let go of that which would convince you otherwise, which it always does with pushing. God, the divine, Christ, light, truth, never pushes, never pushes. But man, do I feel that push, that pulling. Come on, get through this. Get this done. This got to get done on this schedule. Look, I've got a schedule. I run a global foundation. You have a schedule. You run an international radio program. But if I believe that who I am depends on meeting the schedule, that I'm nothing more than the, the unwitting instrument of an ignorance that is trying to convince itself it's something by keeping in place what it believes proves it's something. It's all a nightmare. Wow. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> We're going to go on to prayer three. Do what you don't want to do. This is about uh, being comfortable and uncomfortable. And so what is the real nature of comfort that you're talking about here, oh, Guy? What a, great, what a great way to phrase the question. What's the real nature of peace? Is peace a time to come? Is peace something that is something like a cloud on the horizon bringing rain to soak this desert-weary soul? No. Peace is now or it is never. Period. We are not the creators of peace. But everything we do to create peace produces conflict because we're always set against someone or something that doesn't see how intelligent and loving we are and should adapt our idea of peace on the spot. Do what you don't want to do is a spiritual instruction that is saying, try to understand that anything in you that meets a moment with resistance will never learn the reason that moment has come. Resistance is a blinding force. Resistance separates itself from the lesson the moment has brought. To understand that resistance is in fact blinding us by producing the image that we obviously know what's true because look how much pain we're in over the situation. If, it's, if we ever could see it, Justine, 
How did pain ever become the proof that I know what's good? Oh, good question. Yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Say that again and, and, and help to unpack that one for us. How did, here I am. And I'm in pain because my wife, the, the weather, the political party, the co I'm in pain. And that pain, the stronger it is, convinces me with greater certainty that I actually know what's right. Pain does not prove you know what's right. Pain proves you're asleep with no idea what rightness is or you wouldn't be in that kind of pain. Because what is pain? if not the insistence that my image and idea and my demand is based in something infallible. And there is no such thing. So that doing what I don't want to do is the beginning of taking into the real world the understanding that if I'll meet this moment, like I don't want to work on my book. I don't want to work on the garden outside. I don't want to work raking leaves. I don't want to do the, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to. Well, what if I get the idea that the moment of I don't want to is the same as an invitation to become aware of that consciousness that defines itself by what it doesn't want. A consciousness that defines itself by what it doesn't want and then confines itself to the world of resistance. I'm gone. I'm lost. No chance for change. But if I understand that who I am can't be defined by what I don't want, who I am is awakened by everything that disturbs it. So then disturbance, because you asked me, what's the nature of peace? What if I actually got the idea that when something comes I don't want, it isn't to be pushed away. It's to be welcomed as an awakening to a level of consciousness that knows nothing about itself and doesn't want to. Then man, do I know what peace is because I'm no longer living in the perpetual fear of something that seems to take from me my life when what's really happening is God has brought me a new light to see my life by. I'm here with spiritual teacher Guy Finley, and he is the creator of the online e-course called Five Prayers for Self-Transformation. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with spiritual teacher 
Guy Finley, and among many other things, he's an author and other things, and he offers a e-course called Five Prayers for Self-Transformation, and you can participate in that by going to his website, Guy Finley, F-I-N-L-E-Y dot org, O-R-G. Guy, prayer four is leave the uncomfortable moments alone. Oh, gosh. Okay. Here's where, again, what is comfort? I mean, we all want to be very, very comfortable. And uh, so when we're uncomfortable, um, you talk about how this is when silence can come in. Uh, you, you use the example, like how we rush in to feel the silence of our yes. lives. Yes. Yes. Look, and this will touch briefly on what we did in the last portion. When am I made uncomfortable? When do you get uncomfortable? When a moment comes along and it rubs us the wrong way. Well, what's it rubbing? It's rubbing the past. It's rubbing an image. It's rubbing a belief or an ideal that is connected to some conditioned aspect of my religion, my politics, so that when I'm uncomfortable, it's because something is challenging what I am identified with without knowing it. So the uncomfortable moment is saying, Guy, Justine, would you like to know something about a false comfort of yours? It wasn't wrong while you had it, but it's time to outgrow it. Can we become comfortable at peace with ourselves regardless what is being pushed or touched in us in that moment? Because when we can realize that the unwanted, uncomfortable moment is secretly there to serve our illumination and awakening, then we enter into a kind of peace that can never be taken from us because every last moment is part of its ceaseless unfolding. Where where does silence come in here then, if you could speak well, about isn't when does my when does my mind get crazy? <laughs> My mind gets crazy with trying to control or change what has made me uncomfortable. And I listen to these voices, all of them false. I take the feelings and the choices they make as being the only possibility. And in that moment, I'm living in a world of noise, trying to bring silence with a new version of comfort. You don't use a fan to straighten out a stack of papers. And we should. And we shouldn't allow thought to tell us how to get to a quiet place. The quiet's already there. We just have to remember it and release this identification with all this noise so that we can enter into that perfect sky where the clouds are adornments and not the source of the relationship itself. To use a fan to uh, sort a stack of papers. I mean, isn't that a great? I mean, we talk about monkey mind, but yeah, I yeah. love that image. We we just uh, it's it's just so vivid to see a fan is going and our papers are just going every place. And because because resistance that seems to be the path of reconciliation is the acceleration of that consciousness that doesn't want the moment. Resistance is acceleration, not quietification. doesn't do anything. It accelerates. And of course, the more it accelerates, the more we're caught up in that whirlwind, trying to bring an end to what the whirlwind is producing. It's a circle of self 
that nothing can bring an end to save for the awareness of that consciousness. See, we want to transcend the questioning mind. Uh. I don't want to ask the question if I'm present to the whirlwind inside of myself. That awareness of the pain is not going to let pain be my guide. The awareness of fear is never going to say, if you fell in the ocean, would you ask a shark to take you out of it? So that when we fall into this terrible fear or anxiety, looking to our anxiety to lead us out of that moment is asking a false God to guide us out of a world that it created so that we could turn to it as our guide. We don't need to think, Justine. We need to wake up. We need to be present to whatever is coursing through us and simply let the light of that awareness bring into focus that which is trying to pass itself off as intelligence. One quick thought. Awareness is order itself. You look out at natural world, well, how does all this order take place? There is a natural awareness that is endowed to all things that serves to keep order in itself. That awareness is order. Can I enter into an awareness of disorder? Then I'm aware of what serves and what doesn't serve, what I should give my attention to and what I must not be identified with, all by the simple act of coming back to myself, getting as quiet as I know how to be, and being the witness of the moment instead of someone trying to serve that which is saying, this is what's wrong, this is what you have to do, and it never works, period. I think as human beings, we're always uncomfortable with disorder or chaos. And there's a lot of like, we're talking about, we're living in chaotic times right now. Yes. And these, and, and, that's uncomfortable that because yeah. <laughs> there's a tendency to want to go for order but that what you're saying i think is that there are cycles that we live within you've touched on something so vital let let's get it across i'm watching the news doesn't matter left right in between i'm watching the news and one of the reasons we watch the news is because it upsets us <laughs> No. I mean that literally. I know. Media wants more eyeballs. Yeah, that, so they want exactly us to right. be upset. That, so, yeah. so, so, what, so what happens? I am immediately filled with resistance to anything that doesn't match my idea of order in reality. Does resistance know anything about order? Or is resistance the reaction to something that seems to be out of order, and now I'm going to turn to the fan and say, straighten out this stack of papers, straighten out these fools that don't know what I do, and therefore you get what? You get anger, frustration, and fear, calling itself intelligence, working to straighten out anger, fear, and intelligence, and you get this. You, get, you actually get one consciousness beating itself to death against the idea it has of what intelligence is. That's stress, that's pressure, that's pain, and it produces the negative outcome through a misunderstanding of itself. That's so great. That's so great. I, I love this. Uh, what you're saying now is resistance will not take us where we want no, to truly go. 
it can't. You alluded to it. Resistance is what creates the collapse of the civilization that produced the images that then we resist because they don't match what we want. And we see this cycle, which you alluded to, over and over again. We, Justine, you, I, the listeners, we have to understand there's another world that before we can do anything actionable in this world that changes it, our consciousness must change. This is the real meaning of it. Not, I'm going to change your consciousness. I'm going to see where my consciousness is incomplete and creating the very conflict that I blame on you. That reminds me of our theme. It's only through a change in consciousness that the world will be transformed. I mean, One that's our theme. at a time. Yeah, yeah. But that doesn't mean that we don't... Uh, participate in life we're not withdrawing from life that's not what you're saying oh no we're actually entering into it for the first time we are we are sucked out of real life by imagining that our anger frustration and fear means that we're alive no these negative states don't prove we're alive it proves we don't know what real life is or we wouldn't agree to be the captive of a consciousness that keeps creating life in its own image. That's not what we're here for. All right. All right. Okay. We have maybe time to briefly look at prayer five, give up the last word. Okay. Walking away from arguments, <laughs> letting go of temporary conquests or victories and claiming an internal victory. Uh, Simply put. I'm not here to prove that I know what's right. I'm here to discover that I'm already in a relationship with righteousness itself. Every last word that we try to get with anyone or anything, including yelling at the TV or people that have a different opinion that we do, is the foolish, futile attempt by taking the last word to prove that I am above all that I have just commanded to be still. No. Give up the last word means let me use this moment to discover something in me that can't stop talking to itself, talking over other people, and trying to prove by its verbosity that somehow it's actually the boss of the moment. Nothing could be further from the truth. Give up the last word gives us a chance to hear, see, and realize this unconscious nature. There's a wonderful quote that you have around what you're just speaking about, and um, that's, um, what is true needs no defense, and what is false can't be, can't defended. be defended. That's such a great, uh, uh, it really stops me in my tracks. Say, ah, what is that? Yeah. Or just, or just go to GuyFinley.org. We have tons of free gifts. Exactly, exactly. It's just a wealth, just a wealth. Thank you so much, Guy, for being with us on New Dimensions. Thank you. I've been speaking with Guy Finley at his home by Remote Connection, and he's a spiritual teacher, author, and founding director of Life of Learning Foundation and the online self-discovery programs in the Foundation's Wisdom School. And as I say, Go to his website to find out all the many programs he offers, GuyFinley.org. Spells his name F-I-N-L-E-Y, GuyFinley.org. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, NewDimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions.
This is program number 3710. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. For over four decades, New Dimensions has been producing weekly conversations at the leading edge. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions. Thank you.